Rupert Murdoch is half Puritan, half gambler, and that's the way he has always behaved. His father was from a long line of Presbyterian preachers and moralists, his mother the daughter of a handsome rake who lost a fortune to the bookies. But it's not quite as simple as that. All his life he has railed against elites, yet his father, Sir Keith, was a newspaper baron who rubbed shoulders with political leaders in Australia and Britain and Rupert is now one of the world's richest and most powerful men. All his life he has railed against toffs and inherited wealth, yet he was born into privilege. His family had money and huge estates. He was educated at private school and Oxford, and he is now set to bequeath billions of dollars to his own children. So how can this be? Does he care nothing for the truth? Or does he see no contradictions in the portrait he draws of himself as an ordinary man, an outsider, even a victim? It is perhaps a part of the answer that his father was an outsider too, a shy man with a stammer, who had to elbow his way to the top. But it is also that Rupert has a remarkable capacity to believe what suits him. He's a man with a massive ego, an elephant hide, and an extraordinary sense of entitlement and despite an old-fashioned morality, he often behaves as if rules are for others, but not for him. Rupert's father, Sir Keith Murdoch, was a famous journalist who dominated Melbourne as an editor and proprietor for almost forty years. He is undoubtedly best known for his seminal Gallipoli letter, which exposed the horror of the war in the Dardanelles in 1915. But his real claim to fame is that he brought modern journalism to Australia and created the first national newspaper chain, building the Herald and Weekly Times into a powerful media group which controlled around 50% of the national newspaper market, owned a dozen commercial radio stations and would carve out a similar position in television after his death in 1952. Sir Keith was a genius at packaging and selling news like his famous son, but he also had a gift for financial wizardry, a talent for blunt and rough-hewn writing, an unjaded curiosity about the events of every day, and an inexhaustible appetite for work. According to one of his newspaper editors, he also showed boyish piratical tendencies, which failed to mask his desire to make the world a better place, especially for himself. That thumbnail sketch might just as easily have been penned about Rupert fifty years later, as might the warning that Sir Keith's charm concealed a man who was not to be trusted, a man who was no more than a paper mask, lifelike and ingenious, but still a mask, hiding a calculating, undeviating, insatiable seeker after worldly riches and temporal power. But there are many ways in which father and son are alike, despite their different upbringings. The Scottish Calvinist streak runs deep in Rupert, as it did with his father, and so does a profound distrust of all things British, which perhaps stems from a colonial resentment of a mother country that looked down on them. Both men believe in their right to make and break politicians and to bully them into changing their policies. Both are workaholics who lack a sense of humour. Both carry a large chip on their shoulders, and both are determined to perpetuate a dynasty by handing it on to the next generation, 
which the modern Murdoch believes in despite his repeated attacks on inherited privilege. Rupert's father was born in Melbourne in 1885, almost 130 years ago, long before the 19th century drew to a close, and grew up in the stringent economy of a clergyman's family as one of seven children. So, it's no wonder that his son has old-fashioned attitudes to women and is careful with money. Nor is it a surprise that Rupert is a prude at heart, with so little sympathy for the sexual antics of his tabloid victims, because the Murdochs come from a long line of churchmen with an abiding sense of sin. Rupert's grandfather, Patrick, sailed from Aberdeenshire on the far north coast of Scotland to take up a living in East Melbourne in 1884, and went on to become head of the Presbyterian Church in Australia. Though far more liberal than his own fire and brimstone-breathing father, who believed in terrifying his flock with visions of heaven,